When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. A podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so much for listening. Today's episode will be a bit shorter than usual. We reviewed the Atalanta match with Daniel Russo on the latest episode of Forza Napoli Worldwide. That posted late on Tuesday Eastern Time, so be sure to check that one out if you haven't already. So because we did that episode, we won't be reviewing that match on this episode. We'll only have two parts on this episode. In part one, we'll check in on how our competition did on match day 23. And in part two, we'll preview the second leg of our Europa League tie against Granada. So let's get right into it. Heading into this round, we were sitting in fifth place, 10 points back of Inter and 9 points back of Milan. Roma were in third on 43 points, followed by Juventus, who were a point behind Roma. We were 3 points behind Roma and 2 points behind Juve. Lazio and Atalanta were both tied with us on 40 points, and then there was a bit of a drop-off to the next tier of clubs with Sassuolo, Verona, Sampdoria, and Benevento. The big match of the weekend was the Derby della Madonnina, the last time that Inter and Milan played each other as the top two teams in the league in Serie A was in 2011. Inter raced out of the gates, Romelu Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez were looking very sharp early on, and it didn't take long for them to strike. Only five minutes into the match, Lukaku got behind Alessio Romagnoli before squaring for Lautaro. Simon Kier did well to intercept the pass with his slide tackle, but he didn't do a great job of clearing the ball. Lukaku retrieved the ball at the edge of the area and played a gorgeous left-footed cross into the box. It was perfectly placed in between Kier and Sandro Tonali, who was deputizing for the injured Ismail Benacer. 
The ball was excellent, but you cannot leave a player of Lautaro's quality so wide open in the box like that. Milan really struggled to get their passing going early on, while Inter looked dangerous every time they had the ball. Inter looked especially dangerous on the counterattack. Ivan Perisic and Christian Eriksen both played a big part of that. Perisic has really grown into that left wing back role, and much like Chucky Lozano feels like a new signing for Napoli, Christian Eriksen is starting to feel like a new signing for Inter. Inter had a counterattack in the 18th minute that was next to flawless. They were sprinting downfield, playing crisp and accurate passes. There was all kinds of movement in the attack. They did just about everything but score. At the same time, you felt like Milan were just one Inter mistake away from equalizing. On a few occasions in the first half, Inter's back line looked in complete disarray. Both Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Teo Hernandez had scoring chances after some nervous defending by Inter's back line. Gijo Donnarumma played his part, keeping Milan in it with a big save on Perisic's low shot late in the first half. Milan's biggest chance of the half came a minute before the break. Milan blocked the interclearance before Zlatan picked out Hakan Chalonoglu at the top of the area. He waited for Brozovic to go down before chipping through to Antti Rebic, but the pass was just a touch too heavy and nothing came of it. You knew the first 10 minutes of the second half were going to be critical. Milan looked much better coming out of the break, but Samir Handanovic rolled back the clock. First, he made an incredible forearm save on Ibrahimovic's header only minutes into the half. A minute later, he foiled Ibrahimovic again with another header, but on the opposite side of the goal. Handanovic would go on to make another big save late on Antti Rebic when the game was all but over. Inter made Milan pay with a stunning team goal about 10 minutes after those Ibrahimovic headers. It started with an Inter goal kick and 8 passes later, the ball was in the back of the goal. Ashraf Hakimi played a big part in that goal. And once again, Romelu Lukaku was an absolute beast in this game. He nearly scored in the 63rd minute after Nicolo Barella played him through. He patiently turned the sliding Kyre before firing on target, but Donnarumma made the save. That big striker wouldn't be held down for long though, only a few minutes later Lukaku picked up Perisic's ball in the middle of the park and decided to go it alone. He ran straight past a struggling Romagnoli and fired past Donnarumma with his left boot, tucking his shot inside the near post from just inside the top of the box. So Inter went on to win 3-0 in an absolutely massive match. Inter started the season conceding a lot of goals, but they really tightened up at the back. No team in the league is anywhere near Inter in terms of goal differential. That win put them 4 points clear of Milan, who are suddenly looking quite vulnerable. Not only is the Scudetto seemingly slipping away, but even a top 4 finish is no longer as safe as it once appeared to be with 15 matches still to play. Moving on, Lazio beat Sampdoria 1-0 on a goal from Luis Alberto. This was a clash between two Napolitano strikers in Fabio Cagliarella and Ciro Immobile. Immobile was looking for his 20th goal in all competitions and his 145th with Lazio. That would pull him within 5 of the club record currently held by Silvio Piola. Immobile had scored 5 goals in his previous 2 matches against Sampdoria, so you certainly expected him to score in this one, but he only had a couple of chances in the first half and he wasn't able to convert them. On the first, Luis Alberto played a clever chip to Immobile from the top of the box, but Immobile wasn't able to hit the target with his sweeping volley. He did make good contact on his second chance, 
Francesco Acerbi played an excellent long ball to Immobile, which he let run before firing from a sharp angle, but Emil Audero made the save. Audero had another good game in goal for Sampdoria. Earlier in the match, he made a big save on Alberto after a lovely interplay with Jauken Correa in the area. But a minute after that, Alberto got his revenge. Maya Yoshida wasn't able to head the ball clear, and then he got a bit unfortunate when his block fell for Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, but Lazio had plenty to do after that. Milinkovic-Savic played a delicate through ball to Alberto, and he fired past Aldero into the top corner. The shot might have just caught the trailing leg of Yoshida to get through, but it had enough pace and power to still hit the target. Between Alberto and Milinkovic-Savic, Lazio really dominated the midfield in the first half. Sampdoria responded well after the break, and I think it's safe to say that they were the better side in the second half. They worked the ball around really nicely, and they created their fair share of chances, but all too often, the final ball was just lacking in quality. Sam's best chance came shortly after the restart. Jakob Yankto played a lovely through ball to pick out Tommaso Algello's run on the left wing. He did really well to chip over the sliding Adam Marusic before crossing to Qualiarella in the 6-yard box, but the striker couldn't hit the target with his header. Had Algello looked up, he would have seen that he might have been better off playing the ball on the ground to Kita Balde instead. Yankto had a chance himself in the 63rd minute. Antonio Candreva's cross was poorly dealt with by Pepe Reina. The ball fell rather awkwardly for Yankto, and as a result, he pulled his shot wide of the mark. Simone Inzaghi replaced Luis Alberto about midway through the half, no doubt because Lazio have a big game midweek against Bayern Munich in the Champions League. That certainly didn't help Lazio's midfield, but I have to give Inzaghi a ton of credit for trusting his players. You will never see Gennaro Gattuso removing his best midfielder with a 1-0 lead. Granted, Gattuso hasn't had many options lately, but even when he did, I don't think he would make a change like that. When you don't, the players you leave on are either too tired to perform their best when you need them to, or they become more susceptible to injury, particularly of the muscular variety, and we've certainly had our fair share of those at Napoli. Ironically, it was Lazio who had the best chance to score about midway through the half. Marusic made a great turn in the area to find space to square for Vedat Murici. All Murici had to do was steer the ball into the empty goal, but somehow he missed his kick. I've defended Murici quite a bit, saying he needs time to adapt to a new league in a new country. We saw how Chucky Lozano struggled last season with Napoli and how he's bounced back this season, but I have to admit, as that sample size continues to grow with Murici, it's getting harder to defend him. As the game wore on, Sampdoria continued to press. For a moment, it looked like they might be awarded a penalty kick after Qualiarella went down in the area, but it wasn't given. Samp really turned up the intensity in the final minutes of the half, but the goal just did not come. In fact, Lazio nearly scored a second in the dying minutes, and they probably would have had it not been for a quality interception from Ebri Macaulay. He was actually quite good at the back for Sampdoria in this match, but in the end, Lazio hung on for the 1-0 win. And that moved Lazio into fourth place with Roma, Juventus, Atalanta, and Napoli still to play. Speaking of Roma, they picked up a surprising draw to Benevento. That match finished 0-0. This was a disappointing result for Romanisti, who knew heading into this match that Milan lost the derby and that both Lazio and Atalanta had won. But the disappointing result was befitting of a disappointing performance. Roma didn't create their first chance until the 34th minute after Pasquale Schiattarella telegraphed his switch of play. Lorenzo Pellegrini intercepted the pass and got a decent shot off, but Lorenzo Montipo made the save. 
I thought Pellegrini was Roma's best player. He seemed to be involved in everything positive that Roma created, including their second chance that came five minutes into the second half. Gianluca Mancini played a lovely through ball to Pellegrini at the top of the box, and he slipped the ball through to Henrik Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan got a touch on the ball, but Montipo closed him down really quickly to make the save. Things got worse for Benevento after that. In the 57th minute, Camille Glick was shown a second yellow for a late tackle on Mkhitaryan. Despite Glick's disappointment, he did have it coming. He picked up his first yellow in the first half for another late tackle, that one on Jordan Vertu. Glick was complaining to referee Luca Perato all match after that. Benevento coach Filippo Inzaghi would join Glick in the tunnel very late in the match, so that means he will not be on the touchline for Benevento's next match against Napoli. Unfortunately for Roma, this was one of those situations where a Benevento red card may have hurt them more than it helped. Benevento parked the bus and made it really difficult for Roma to break through. Federico Barba had a big part to play in that. He had a solid game at the back. Roma's best chances came at the very end of the match. In the 94th minute, Pellegrini's brave header was cleared off the line by Luca Caldirola. Then in the dying seconds of the match, Roma were awarded a penalty kick. Pellegrini played a clever backheel to Stefan El Shirawi in the area. El Shirawi, who was making his first appearance since returning to Roma, was clearly fouled by a reckless tackle by Dom Fulom. However, just as Roma thought they had been bailed out, VAR intervened. As it happens, Pellegrini was in an offside position in the build-up to the penalty, so the decision was reversed and the final whistle blew shortly after that. So like I said, this was a very disappointing performance for Roma. Finally, Juventus beat Crotone 3-0 on goals from Cristiano Ronaldo and Weston McKennie. This match wasn't a contest at all. Early on, it seemed like Crotone might put up a fight, but Juve were patient. They kept on moving forward and slowly started creating chances. I thought Federico Keza had another excellent match on the right side. Dan Kulusevski was looking dangerous as well, and of course, Ronaldo was always lurking. Surprisingly, though, Juventus didn't score until the 38th minute off of a corner kick. Ronaldo got free to head past Alex Cordaz on the cross from Alexandro. VAR took a long review at this play before ultimately ruling that Ronaldo was onside by the kneecap of Vladimir Golomic. A quick aside on this, this VAR review took about two and a half minutes to complete. If a decision is that close, then there probably isn't clear and obvious evidence to overturn it, so they should just keep the decision on the field and move on. Anyhow, after that goal, Crotone crumbled pretty quickly. Ronaldo came close to scoring at the end of the first half, but Cordaz made an excellent save on his low shot. Unfortunately for Cordaz, the rebound fell for Aaron Ramsey. He crossed to Ronaldo in the area, and he hung in the air for a while, as he's known to do, before heading in his second of the match. Because of the long VAR review, there were a few minutes of stoppage time in the first half, and Ronaldo should have completed his tripleta in the dying seconds of the half, but somehow he missed the empty target. Aaron Ramsey played him through, and Ronaldo hoped he was offside after such a terrible miss, but once again, Golomich played him on. Aaron Ramsey probably should have scored in this match, but he could not seem to hit the target. At the start of the second half, the commentators pointed out that Crotona had scored only six away goals all season, and somehow they needed to find two against the nine-time reigning champions no less, so this game was pretty much over before the half even started. Weston McKenney added Juve's third about midway through the half from a corner kick. That was his fourth of the season. The rest of the match was really just a formality. Pirlo emptied his bench to give his starters a much-needed rest, 
given Juve's injury situation, players like Nicola Fagioli, Gianluca Frabotta, and Alessandro Di Pardo all got some minutes. Of course, with Ronaldo on a hat-trick, he stayed in to miss some more free kicks. So all in all, this was another terrible weekend for Napoli. We're now 13 points back of Inter, which is almost not even worth reporting anymore. We certainly are not going to win the Scudetto. With Milan losing the Derby, they remain 9 points clear of us, but like I said, Milan are suddenly looking vulnerable. Juve moved into 3rd place, pulling within 4 points of Milan, and 1 point ahead of Roma after their draw to Benevento. Atalanta and Lazio both surpassed us with their wins, so we are now down in 7th place. We're 5 points back of Juve, 4 points back of Roma, and 3 points back of Atalanta and Lazio. Champions League qualification is certainly still a realistic target, but not if we continue to play the way that we've been playing lately. We need to start collecting some Ws. Our next three Serie A matches are against Benevento, Sassuolo, and Bologna. As far as I'm concerned, all three of those games are must-wins. In a way, we're almost better off being eliminated from the Europa League. I know that might sound crazy, but I'll explain why it isn't in part two. In part 2, we'll do a quick preview of our second leg of the Europa League tie against Granada. We head into this match with a bit of a hill to climb. We lost the first leg 2-0 in Spain, so we'll need to come out looking for goals. A lot was made about the fact that Granada lost to last place Huesca on the weekend. In other words, we couldn't beat a team that a relegation side in La Liga beat. For anyone making that claim, go take a look at the squad that Granada fielded against us and then compare it to the squad that they fielded against Huesca. Only two players started in both of those matches, goalkeeper Rui Silva and right back Dimitri Fouquier, and Fouquier didn't even play at right back against Huesca, he played on the right wing. So I don't think we should read too much into the fact that Granada lost to Huesca. What we should take away from that match is that Granada coach Diego Martinez prioritizes the Europa League over La Liga. I'm sure he's still expected to beat last place Huesca with his backups, but to turn over the entire squad is a bit much. That means, just like the Atalanta match, we'll be fielding a lot of tired players, while our opponent will essentially be playing on a full week of rest. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. I'm expecting Granada to play almost the exact same squad that they played in the first leg, lined up in a 4-3-3. The only player I don't think we'll see is Jesus Vallejo, who was forced to be removed early in the first leg with a thigh injury. Rui Silva will start in goal. With German Sanchez and Nedro Lozano still injured, I think we'll see Nahuen Perez start over Vallejo at centre-back, with Domingos Duarte completing the centre-back pairing. 
Carlos Neves should play at left back and Dimitri Fouquet should play at right back. Maxime Gonalon should start in the center of the midfield. Apparently, Yanhel Herrera has been dealing with a muscle injury, but I still expect him to start on the left side of the midfield and Angel Montoro to start on the right side. Darwin Matches should start again on the left wing, Kennedy should start again on the right wing, and finally, Jorge Molina should play at striker. For Napoli, our injury situation basically dictates our starting 11. David Ospina is still recovering from his injury and with Alex Meret fit, there's no need to rush Ospina back. Kalidou Koulibaly returned on Sunday, so I definitely expect him to start at centre-back. As much as I would love for him to be paired with Amir Rachmani, I think we'll see Nikola Maksimovic start instead. I think that's why Gattuso removed him from the Atalanta game, just to give him a few extra minutes of rest in anticipation of this game. I'm half tempted to predict that Fauzi Gulam would start at left back, but considering that we need to score goals, and considering that Gattuso removed Rui from the Atalanta game as well, I'm expecting to see Rui at left back, and truth be told, he hasn't been that bad lately, especially in joining the attack. Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start again at right back because he's the only right back we have until LCT Sai returns from injury. We don't have any good options for the Regista. Diego Deme is still out, so either Timoy Bakayoko or Stanislav Lobotka will get the start. In the 4-3-3, we should see Fabian Ruiz start on the right side of the midfield and Piotr Zielinski start on the left side of the midfield. With Victor Osiman out for this game, the front three is somewhat difficult to predict. You would expect that Lorenzo Insigne would start on the left wing and Matteo Politano would start on the right wing, but it's hard to say because we don't have any strikers. There were rumors that Dries Mertens could start, but in his pre-match conference, Gattuso confirmed that Mertens will start on the bench. That basically leaves Elif Elmas as the only option at striker if Insigne and Politano play in their natural positions. There is a possibility though that we see Politano play at striker as he did at least at the start of the Milan game, in which case Elmas would play on the right wing. So those are the starting lineups, next let's take a look at our three keys to the match. The first key to the match is a fairly obvious one which is that we cannot afford to concede an away goal. It will be hard enough to come back from a two goal deficit with none of our center forwards in the starting 11, but that away goal is basically worth two. For those who don't know, if Napoli wins this match 3-1, the aggregate score would be 3-3 and we would be eliminated on away goals. In other words, if we concede a goal, we'll need to score at least four goals to advance on aggregate with a score of 4-3 or better. That's why an away goal would have been so valuable in the first leg. It's going to be hard enough for us to score two goals to force extra time, let alone three or four goals for the win. Our second key to the match is we need to attack through the middle of the pitch. No matter how we slice it, we will have no height in the attack. Elmas will be our tallest forward at 5 feet 11 inches, which is another reason why it probably makes sense for him to start at striker. That said, we don't really know if he's good in the air, and even though he might be the tallest player in our attack, he's still going to be in tough against Granada's center backs, particularly Domingo Stuarte, who's about 6 foot 3. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we shouldn't use the wings, it just means that if we use the wings, we should not look to cross the ball in the air. Rather, we should look to cut the ball back to Zielinski and Fabian at the top of the box, or we should look to cross the ball on the ground. We can also look for Insigne and Politano to cut into the middle, as inverse wingers typically do. We just have to be careful not to concede possession in doing so. As we saw in the first leg, Granada have a very good counterattack, and they can punish us for making mistakes in the middle of the park. 
The third key to the match is that we need to take as many shots as we possibly can and we need to hit the target. If you look at our stats lately, we are not nearly testing opposition keepers enough. We had a total of 5 shots on target in our last 3 matches combined. In our win against Juventus in Serie A, we had 10 shot attempts and only 3 hit the target. Then against Granada in the first leg, we had 13 shot attempts and only 1 hit the target. And on the weekend against Atalanta, we had only 5 shot attempts and only one of those hit the target. If we are to have any chance of advancing to the next round, we'll need to do a lot better than that. I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but our midfield will need to be a lot better if we hope to create anything in attack. The head official for this match is German referee Daniel Siebert. His assistants are Jan Seidel and Dominique Schall. Daniel Schlager is the fourth official and Christian Dingert is on the VAR assisted by Bibiana Steinhaus. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. I'll give the goals to Eli Felmas and to Jorge Molina. I'm just not confident that we'll be able to score many goals with the way this midfield has been playing and considering the injury situation at striker. I think if we can go into the break up 1-0, then that will put us in a decent position to score a second in the second half. Anything can happen after that, particularly if the match goes to penalty kicks. With a 1-0 lead, I think we can expect Dries Mertens to come off the bench to try to get that second goal. The reason I'm taking the draw is because I can see Granada striking on the counterattack as we push forward either for the opening goal or perhaps for the equalizer if we get ahead. This reminds me a little bit of the second leg of the Coppa Italia against Atalanta where it can really go either way. If we score a goal, we can push forward and score a second or we could get caught and concede. If we do concede and we're down 3-0 or 3-1 on aggregate, then I think we might finally see some Primavera players with about 15-20 to 20 minutes left in the match, which would be Gattuso's way of waving the white flag. But hopefully it doesn't get to that point. A 2-0 or 3-0 win won't be easy against a Granada team that is quite comfortable playing without the ball, but it's also not impossible against a mid-table team from La Liga. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoy the match. That will also do it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. If you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5 or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fortsanopoly Pod. In case you missed it, we posted our latest episode of Fortsanopoly Worldwide with special guest Daniel Russo late on Tuesday, so be sure to check that one out. We'll be back later in the week to review the Granada match and to preview our next match against Benevento on the weekend. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Fortsanopoly Sempre.
Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.